Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics and that we ask that you use your own discretion when listening or that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lambert. Our topic today is eating disorders in midlife. And one of the really unfortunate stereotypes about eating disorders, and and there are so many, but one of them that we're talking about today is that there's sort of a so-called teenager's problem or something you just have as a young person and then you grow out of, or you don't have to worry about developing once you reach a certain age. But we know that these illnesses have no age limit. They can, and they certainly do affect people across the lifespan. So here to talk more about eating disorders in an underrepresented group, midlife women, uh, is Dr. Heidi Delzell. I'm so excited Heidi is here with us today. Heidi is a clinical psychologist in the greater Philadelphia area with 25 years of experience treating eating disorders, trauma, and body image issues. And she's particularly passionate about helping women in midlife with eating disorders and respecting the unique experiences that come with their age. So thank you so much for joining us today, Heidi. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to be here and so glad you mentioned just how unrepresented midlife women are in our eating disorders world. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about what brought you to this work and what what keeps you passionate in it. Why is it important to you that we serve midlife people with eating disorders? Well, you know, one of the disadvantages of the podcast is that people can't see me, but I am that midlife woman. So My own story is that when I was younger, when I was an older teen, I'd say, my eating disorder began. Although like so many people, I had an eating disorder much younger. At that point, it was more overeating. And then I kind of flipped to restrictive eating. And then in my 20s, I got into recovery. Well, now it's caught up to me. I'm a midlife woman. Like many of my clients, I've had the honor of growing up and growing old with many of my clients. And so I'm starting to see all the very things that they're telling me about, you know, the aging-related changes, maybe some weight gain. And so I'm learning to manage those physical changes and still retain my own recovery, as well as supporting them in doing that. And, you know, it's a group that isn't understood very well. So I really want to get out there and get that message across that midlife women need treatment as much as younger women do. Absolutely, absolutely. What have you seen and in your experience, what makes women more susceptible or susceptible in general to eating disorders at this point in life? What are the unique features of midlife? Well, there are several of them. And, you know, I think backing up a little bit, at one point we thought that midlife was a protective time a time when people had greater maturity, when they kind of knew what to expect from life. And all that's true, but that doesn't make us no longer susceptible to eating disorders. So when I think about that question, Jillian, I think about three different areas. Uh, The first is the cultural aspects that you've already alluded to. The next are the biological changes that women go through. And the third are the individual factors that many women are experiencing at this time. So if you'd like, I could break down some of those. That would be terrific. Go into depth in in each of those areas. I can think of, you know, immediately my mind goes to so many places in each of those. So please take it and run with it. Oh, great. 
So um, when we think about the culture, let's start there because I think that's the biggest kind of umbrella that all women deal with. So society, Western society in particular, there's always that pressure to be thin. And so female beauty is based upon not only thinness, but also youthfulness. Now, as we get a little bit older, that youthfulness begins to fade away and we grow into being the mature women that we are, but we still feel that same pressure. There's not a lot of research out there about midlife women, but there was a study that was done back in 2008 by a researcher by the name of Midlarsky. And I think it was a really pretty good research study that mirrors my own views. It was a survey of 45 or 50 women over the internet, and it was looking at things like body dissatisfactions, pressures to be thin, perfectionism. And what the researchers found is that at midlife, these pressures are basically the same in midlife women as they are in younger women with eating disorders. Add to that the pressures that we're feeling about the idea of aging. Okay, once upon a time, the prevailing thought was that we should all age beautifully. Now the thought is that we shouldn't appear to age at all. And that's a tall order. I mean, look at people like Nicole Kidman, Halle Berry, Sandra Bullock. These are women in their mid-50s who look much, much younger. And those are the types of examples that midlife women are given. Right. It seems so incredible that there's such a pressure on appearance for women and, and, and for all people, but for women in particular. And then you get into midlife where you feel like you have, you know, sort of hitting your stride and, oh, no, those pressures right there. We just want to keep them up and, yeah. and then have a whole, uh, really a whole industry built around that. Exactly. And, you know, I, I know I'm mentioning women, but of course, these same kind of pressures affect men as well. In fact, in my practice, when I've worked with men at midlife, I haven't seen that many differences from the women that I'm describing. There's a lot of pressure on men to continue to look a certain way, to you know, have that very strong, very muscular appearance. And so I'm seeing, seeing the same kind of pressures in this group as well. Right. I'm also fascinated with the, with the biology piece, right? That we do, you know, probably mostly a lousy job of <laughs> talking openly and honestly about the changes that come with midlife body changes, with menopause, with changes in hormone status. And I think my sense is in working with the clients that I've worked with in midlife as well and, and, and sort of the society at large that we do a disservice to people by not being more open and direct and, you know, sharing of the information like stuff changes in midlife and it's supposed to just like puberty, right? It's supposed to change. And we're maybe getting a tiny bit better at talking about that. But what are your thoughts about that dialogue we could have in a, in a different way with women in midlife? Ian, I have that dialogue all the time. And let's just put the elephant out there. Women at midlife gain weight. It is a fact of midlife. And I think a lot of us continue to chase that body that we had as teens. So I know right now we're talking about the biological. So some of the biological changes, that weight begins to grow up, that body fat increases, and that body shape changes as well. And so these are classic changes that we don't see in people like Nicole Kidman or Sandra Bullock because they have access to 
all kinds of things that a normal woman doesn't have access to. So in order to really begin that dialogue, we have to first acknowledge to women, yes, you're gaining weight. Your body looks different than it may have done 10 years ago, but definitely it looks different than it did 20 years ago. And that that's okay. And to begin to look at that and learn how to roll with that and accept it. But then also to acknowledge that it's not easy to have your body start to appear different. It's sort of like that's the the second version of the out of control feeling with the body that things are happening and you don't have a, a much of a say in it <laughs> in some ways. And then in the media, you get this portrayal uh, of people who look like it's just magically easy, right? So that is that is an interesting disservice. Uh, I'm curious if you've seen at all, you know, it seems like as a society, we're getting slightly better at photoshopping slightly less a slightly different perspective on accepting a range of body sizes and shapes. How do you see that extending into into midlife women and the images around that? Is that getting any better? You know, I haven't noticed it get tremendously better. I, I agree with you. We're doing less Photoshopping. But a big thing for me around midlife women is they're not represented in fashion magazines. They're not the images that we're seeing. Right. I mean, they may be the image on the front of AARP magazine, <laughs> but that's not what most women that I know want to pick up and read. Right. <laughs> the images in Cosmo and magazines that are more the fashion magazines, they're mostly young women, the same women that we may be seeing in a lot of our programming and eating disorders. Um, one more thing I'd like to add. I mean, body fat is a big, is a big change. But there are other changes too. I mean, skin gets less elastic. We get those wrinkles. Our hair may become thinner and start to fall out. All of these vanity kind of things contradict Western expectations. And so not only acknowledging that body shape and size changes, but all of these other changes happen too. We don't see that on fashion magazines. Right. It's it's perhaps as if they don't show us the whole truth, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> in your experience, you know, a lot of times when talking to people about eating disorders impacting people over the lifespan, people have an idea that somebody in midlife with an eating disorder must have had it their whole life, or that they almost always had an eating disorder when they were younger, and here it is, something comes back. How common is it in your experience for midlife women who are experiencing an eating disorder to have struggled with an eating disorder before or, or food or body concerns before? And then are there a, a, a subset of the group perhaps that these concerns are new? They aren't a resurgence of something they've previously experienced. All of the above. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's no one answer. And here's what I see in a nutshell. I mean, when we're talking about body image and food struggles, I mean, some of that's normative, right, Jillian? So we can't necessarily base it on that. But if we're looking at eating disorders, what I see is I have maybe one bucket or one group of women that I work with who are women that perhaps I've seen pretty long-term. They're the women who've had eating disorders for a long time and they enter midlife with the same eating disorder. Then I have a group of women who had an eating disorder at some point earlier in their life, got better for a little while, and because of the kinds of pressures that we've alluded to, or even because of some individual changes in their life, their eating disorder has returned. 
And then there's a third group that is probably a bit less common, but I definitely see this group too, of women who are in treatment with me for the first time. And those women are the ones that we usually don't think of, but they're equally important to address. Right. Yep. I agree. I think that's similar to what what we see certainly at the Emily program. And I think other clinicians see that, that it, and it makes it hard to come in and get care if they feel like, oh, I should have taken care of this before now, or I can't believe this is happening to me now. Uh, however, that barrier presents. What special barriers to recovery or sort of unique things present themselves in the recovery journey for women in midlife as they work through their eating disorder? Well, you're alluding to the biggest one, and that's the shame that women feel about having an eating disorder at this age and the stigma attached with it. And the sad part is it doesn't only come internally, it also comes from our profession sometimes. You know, I had I had a woman and I asked her before this call today if I could share a little bit of her story, and she agreed. And the story that she told me, and I was actually there with her because we'd worked for a very long time to have her accept the need to go into higher level of care treatment. And she went to a local treatment program. And what she was asked actually by one of the assessing clinicians was, how did you get an eating disorder at your age? And she was asked it almost in that same tone that I just used. And I mean, when she came back to me, I called and we, we had quite a conversation, that clinician and I, but, you know, she really undid a lot of time that that very sweet, very wonderful lady had spent trying to decrease her own sense of shame and seeking the treatment that she needed. So that's the biggest one. There's, there's a couple others I see that I can also mention. That's an incredible story. I mean, that is just, it's stunning that, yeah. that that would happen. And I and I I guess it's reflective of the continued education we need to make sure we're doing in the field and the really the robust understanding of eating disorders that all treating clinicians need to have. It's absolutely a unfortunately stunning example of why that's so important. It it really is. You know, the other barriers that I see with midlife women. Well, there's a lot of responsibilities. So they have responsibilities at home. Some still are actively parenting, or if they're not actively parenting, perhaps they're playing an important role to aging parents. It's a little bit harder for them sometimes to go into treatment, particularly if they need a higher level of care, such as an inpatient or residential stay. There's also, like I think we've already said, a lack of access to age-appropriate care. A lot of our programming, there's an emphasis on younger patients. And so adult programs sometimes are that age 18 plus. Even though technically people who are 18 are adults, there's a very large difference between the needs of 18-year-olds and the needs of 55-year-olds going into treatment. And I think it's very challenging sometimes when you're asking a woman who is a more mature woman to go into treatment basically with people her own kids' ages. And then lastly, what I see in this group that we haven't touched upon is that many women at this age have dual addictions. And one of the more common ones that I see is the combination of having an eating disorder and also struggling with alcohol. Right. Those are all complicating 
factors that you present and, and really highlight. Yeah. I think it's really important to for the field to continue to consider the the obviously the developmental needs of, of people in treatment. But you highlight a one that I think is particularly important that that we forget that adolescence really goes until 25 or 26. Yeah. So you're right, having a, an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old woman in a group with somebody who's in their 50s, they're different conversations. They're just different. And certainly the conversation that a 16-year-old might have might be different than a 21-year-old, but those are much closer in, in obviously, in age. Um, they're much closer in theme than somebody who's in their career in a family, maybe with older children. So it does particularly highlight how we need to be thinking about care to really provide developmentally, truly developmentally appropriate care. Yeah. And I think it's something still as a field that we're struggling with, and especially in programs. I mean, there's logistics and there's certainly, they have to treat who's there with them. But at the same time, if someone does come in there's some individualization that would be helpful. Um, I've had clients go into programs and here might be a client who's never been in a program and doesn't, you know, doesn't have any ulterior motive in not finishing a meal. And instead of sitting down and talking with that person and saying, look, we want you to try to finish this meal. This is how the program is based. We're really looking for 100% compliance. They've been treated like a much younger person and even a younger person shouldn't kind of categorically be told, well, now you need to go supplement. <laughs> That's not something that I think any program would want to do, but particularly with someone who's a little bit older and that can affect in a negative way. And I think it's, a, it's important to highlight too that as we think about making treatment more accessible and approachable and appropriate, that oftentimes the staff maybe younger than the client, Yeah, right? And that happens in lots of places in healthcare, right? Lots of, of, of younger people take care of older people. And so in, in theory, that can work just fine. I do think in, in eating disorders, it is an interesting issue that comes up. And I think it speaks to, to your earlier sort of stunning story that as clinicians, we need to remember that people really do get these illnesses their whole life and that our clients may well be older than us and we should expect that. And not have it be sort of a surprise or not have to, to think, oh, this time I have to change my language. No, we probably should be thinking about that the whole time, right? Exactly. Exactly. But it's even more important with this group. And, you know, when you're talking about accessibility and appropriateness, which, you know, I know, I know you're alluding to all of those questions. Those are the kinds of things if we educate our clinicians and our staff about some of these issues. It can be really helpful when, when women do seek treatment. Right. In this situation where there's a fair amount of shame that people come in and say, you know, I feel like I should have taken care of this or I've been taking care of everybody else for so many years. Now I'm finally able to try to take care of myself. And, and the shame that comes with that, of, of course, is part of the barrier for women seeking care is the, is the shame they feel. And as you rightly say, the shame that's sort of waiting out there to welcome them in. And help them to unfortunately feel even less like this is a thing they should do when it's the very thing they should do. Exactly. Exactly. Any thoughts about how we can change the narrative in, you know, certainly changing the narrative around, around uh, imagery in the media and helping society to see aging as a normal part of the process and as something to be revered and not shamed? Uh, 
Any thoughts around messaging that we could be doing as a healthcare profession? This is sort of a big, on behalf of the entire healthcare profession. <laughs> but I think in terms of, you know, if you had, if you had 10 minutes with every physician, let's say, that takes care of women in midlife, and you could give those physicians just a few nuggets of how to think about their conversations with their women in midlife, what would you tell them? You know, I I found that sometimes from physicians, there tends to be either an over-focus or an under-focus on weight. So that over-focus on weight is if I have a woman in a larger body who goes to the doctor for anything, maybe she goes to the doctor for a cold, what's the first thing that she's told? You know, hey, you've gained X amount of weight between the time that I saw you last and today. I'm here for a cold. Right. You can look at weight and look at body and body size in a sensitive way. You know, in fact, it's really interesting as I was preparing some of my thoughts for our conversation today, one of the things that came out is that women who do tend to be in larger bodies might be most susceptible to eating disorders, which makes sense. So we want to make sure the doctors are handling weight issues in a sensitive way and not over focusing on weight when they come in and they're there for other reasons. By the same token, if they have a client that has lost weight and that client is a midlife woman, to be able to have that conversation and to be able to say, you know, what's caused this? You know, sometimes that education, that being in a body that's too low in body weight isn't healthy either. And to be able to have that same conversation. So I think that our medical professionals need additional education. So do our, our mental health professionals. Um, I'll give you another story because you seem to like my stories. I love your stories. <laughs> um, so I was on Facebook and I was on one of the eating disorder forums and someone independent of me had posted and said, does anybody have any recommendations where I can send this woman? You know, she's in her 50s, she's in midlife. I don't know of any good programs. And so response from one of my fellow clinicians was, oh my God, you work with that group? They're such a hard group. And it really was that blatant. And I, I wrote back and I said, I said, hard group, they're my favorite group. What are you talking about, hard group? They're the most articulate, motivated. They are looking for help and support. And I was able to give the other clinician, of course, some recommendations and some things to look at. But so even, even people in the mental health field, I think, do need this kind of education, Jillian. So I'm so glad we're talking. Oh, I think so. I think so. I think it goes along with that stereotype that, you know, people with eating disorders are, are always young and, and that's the group we're talking about, which, which makes me giggle because I also have had clinicians say like, who wants to take care of teenagers? That group is so hard. And I often think, well, what group do you want to take care of? <laughs> it is, it is really important, I think, to keep thinking about how do we, we continue to hold the conversation, right? Like your story illustrates how important it is for us to speak up in the forums that we're currently in, that it's a little daunting to think about changing, you know, the entire healthcare system. Although I agree with your, your response to how we could do that, that it really is important in our own spheres to be able to shift that conversation a bit. And that that can be very impactful, right? That those, those conversations across people who know each other a bit or at least connected can really help highlight um, the lesser thought about facets of eating disorders, such as is this very topic of conversation. So I think it's a, 
that's also a great tidbit to, to speak up. It really does help other people see things that maybe they hadn't thought of. Yeah. And, you know, for women themselves, I think as well to have those conversations. Um, I see people, I specialize in eating disorders, but of course I see people for other things as well. And to be able to have those conversations, if I'm concerned about behaviors that I'm seeing from other people that I work with too, men or women, that I raise the concerns and I can talk with them about, you know, these are concerns I'm having and here's why, and this could be a red flag for us to look at together. And, you know, for women themselves who are struggling with eating disorders at midlife, to know that there is hope that, you know, I've worked with so many women and supported so many women their age and that they do get better and that they can be successful. And there's lots of resources out there. Um, I don't know if I mentioned, I don't think that I did. I run a Facebook group completely free and just supportive for eating disorders at midlife. And so anyone out there who's listening, who wanted to just join the group, a couple of questions to answer, and it's called Eating Disorders at Midlife. But that also there's a lot of wonderful programs like the EMILY program that they can seek help and support. Absolutely. Thank you. That's fantastic that you did that Facebook group. Yeah. I, and I think those resources are so valuable. And, and I agree that, that our, the message to women to, to reach out yeah. is so important, right? It's so, uh, these illnesses often will convince people that they they don't need to be attended to or that it's not that bad or it's there's something else that's more important. What advice do you have for somebody who might be listening right now who's thinking, well, maybe struggling a little bit with, with food or with my body? I don't know. Should I reach out? Should I not? Probably not a big deal. Maybe it's not bad enough. What would you tell that, that listener? If you're thinking about it, make the call. Make the call. Send the email. Talk it through with someone. You know. Clinicians, especially specialty clinicians and programs, we know eating disorders. So, you know, the biggest thing is seek a specialist, someone who knows eating disorders, someone specifically maybe who mentions midlife eating disorders. And if it's not an eating disorder or if there's no problem, we'll tell you. We'll tell you what we see. You know, believe me, (laughs) I have plenty of people. In my practice, I don't need more, but I want to support the women that do come through my doors. So if you're, if you're wondering if you have an eating disorder, you may and reach out and we can help. Absolutely. I do. I do think that's always amusing to me that people are somehow worried that if they don't have an eating disorder, we'll tell them they do anyway. <laughs> and we'd be happy to tell you you don't have an eating disorder if you don't. Uh, that, would, that would be great. Uh, as we've been talking, this thought came into my head. When you're working with women in midlife, right, how about their support systems? Any thoughts about what they could be thinking about or talking with their support systems about, whether that's a partner or a friend or whoever in their life is that important support system to them that that you've experienced with the clients you've worked with? What do women find helpful from their support systems, either sort of on the way to making the phone call and then when they are able to make the phone call and get some some support or some treatment, what do women in these sort of these situations find helpful from their support circles? That is such an excellent question because support systems for midlife women are as important as for younger women. And what I, what I sometimes find is that part of what seems to underlie a lot of women's midlife eating disorders that we hadn't really mentioned 
was how, how much relationships change at midlife. So at midlife, sometimes we see kind of that classic empty nest syndrome. Men and women are together. And so, you know, maybe they've gotten into patterns, you know. So for example, common thing that I see is that, you know, maybe a husband or a partner might be used to working a lot because they're maybe the, the primary breadwinner. They're not home very much. And so part of the eating disorder sometimes is that the woman is in a way creating a relationship outside of the relationship with her partner or husband. And so what I would really like to say is, you know, if your significant other is struggling, your help is really important. And your help means eating meals together. And it sounds so simple, but so few people nowadays eat meals together. And when they can do that, and when partners can support even that one meal a day, it helps tremendously. Absolutely. You know, you're, you're singing my song as a, as a dietitian. I couldn't <laughs> agree with you more that, that more and more we're seeing the importance of not only that shared support and the shared experience of, of eating together and, and talking about your day and doing the things that we do. The literature around family meals when, when kids are growing up is really strong in that area, but it doesn't mean it, that the family meals stop when there aren't kids there anymore, right? The family is still there. It also strikes me that it comes right up against all of the thinking around mindful eating and how, how much as a society, we don't tend to tend to our eating very closely. Societally, we tend to obsess a lot about food and eating and weight and all those things. But in terms of really tending to our experience with it, I think that's critical. So, you know, maybe that does mean turning off the TV or not eating and having your phones uh, you know, I, I see, I'm, I'm sure you do too, when, when, we, when we used to go to restaurants, uh, <laughs> couples would be on their, on their phones together at dinner, those sorts of, of things. And, and I know there's all sorts of reasons for that, but I do think really encouraging our clients of, of all kinds, but particularly people who are struggling with, with eating disorders, that that kind of mindful approach to eating, to being present when you're eating and to being together when you're eating and connected when you're eating is really important. And probably goes a long way to helping general health overall. But thoughts about that? Yeah, no, I completely agree. This is an example of you singing my song. <laughs> <laughs> the more that we can get couples connected and connected around food and positive food experiences. So, you know, a big part of the work for women is how can I connect to my body? And how can I connect to my body means they have to be attentive to their body cues and to what's happening at mealtime. It's a lot easier to do that when you're sitting down at a family meal, you're connecting to your significant other, the rest of your family, than when you're scrolling through your iPhone. Then you're not connecting to anything. If you're there and you're having a wonderful family meal, you also have that opportunity to connect to your body cues of hunger and fullness and to start to begin that process of mindful eating. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's been such an interesting conversation. Anything that we didn't talk about that you think is important to add as we wrap up? You know, again, just reinforcing for women who need support, please reach out. There are other women in the same situation. If you're not on Facebook, find some support with a therapist, find some support with a support group, but find the support that you need. You're worth it. 
and it's worth it to get past this eating disorder. Absolutely. I would just echo that. Absolutely. Recovery is possible no matter what your age. Yeah. That is fantastic. Thank you so much, Heidi, for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to talk with you and think through these these issues that are so important. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at EMILY program. Peacemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.